Driven to Fail is part of the Haggerty Podcast Network. Larry Chen might be the most famous car photographer on the planet. Larry grew up in Southern California. He got into car shooting after high school, after a few other jobs. He sold computers out of the back of his Nissan S13. He was a celebrity paparazzi shooter. He didn't go to college. And early on, he discovered a very old rule. If you work harder than the next guy, things start to happen. Now, photography and cars were Larry's hobby. He started taking shooting seriously about 2004 or so. And when he did that, he made it his mission to be working constantly, virtually every weekend for years. In a lot of ways, Larry was a branch of Southern California import car culture for people who didn't live there. He shot events no one else shot that mainstream car media wouldn't touch, mostly because they were too small or too grassroots or too scruffy or whatever. In 2022, Larry Chen has 675,000 Instagram followers. He's a Canon featured artist with a client list that includes Toyota, Hoonigan, and Monster Energy. He has been to more than 50 countries for work. He has shot every 24-hour race on Earth, and he is the only man behind a camera in this business whose name means something to teenagers in small-town America. Here's the best part, though. I wanted to talk to him for this podcast because he believes in a very specific way that he is really not any good. He is, of course, very good. But that's Larry. That attitude, that constant drive to move past what he views as a weakness, it's part of why he is who he is and why he's made the difference he has. I'm Sam Smith. I'm a journalist and a club racer, and I love stories. This is a podcast about what happens when life doesn't go as we want. Welcome to Driven to Fail. I I can't get enough of talking to pro shooters in this business, right? Photographers in the car business, if if they're at all successful, if their name at all, you are one of the biggest names in the industry, right? But if their name at all, they have, most of them just have a monster work ethic. And you, you clearly do. You know, you're seemingly everywhere all the time on the road constantly and you've been doing that for you know more than a decade your work ethic has been like this most of your career but what i found really interesting is that you know you didn't you didn't always want to be a shooter and you kind of arrived at this after trying some other things you know you told told somebody once that after high school you know you had other gigs before you went all in on photography you fixed and sold computers out of your parents house you had other business ventures like what what were those ventures and more important, when you walked away from them, how did you know they weren't going to pan out? How did you know they were done? How do you decide to shut something down and move on like that, that early? Yeah, when I started out working or, or becoming part of the workforce outside of high school, it was just survival mode. It was just a way to pay rent. It was a way to kind of get through life. I actually didn't really know what I wanted to, to, to do. So that's kind of why I got into computers, you know, because I was into PC gaming, uh, it, it kind of translated, you know, I, I just forced myself to know how to work on computers, how to fix computers. So I did that. And I hustled, man, I sold so I, I sold 1000s of computers. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many telemarketer offices used my computers. And I, I think it, I said this in a couple other podcasts, like I can tell you how many ATX cases I could fit in a S13 hatchback at one point, you know, I could, I like, that's what I did, you know, and, and 
it wasn't my passion. I enjoyed doing it. And I did other odd jobs. I did so many things just to get by. And I looked at photography, I looked at cars, and I looked at that whole world from the outside. And I just envied it so much. I wanted to be a part of it so bad. And I knew people that were successful in the industry back then. And I just kind of saw their drive. I saw what they were doing. And I was thinking like, I, I was kind of weighing the options of seeing if there was room for somebody like me to be in it. What I didn't know is that what I know now is that there's plenty of room for everybody that wants to do it. In fact, now more than ever, there's so much room, but there's just not enough people that are willing to have the drive and put in the time for it. So this was this was 20 years ago? This was early 2000s, right? Yeah. So um, I graduated high school in 2002, and pretty much since then, I just started doing what I could. I never went to college. Yeah. I just – since then, I just started – doing anything I could, I guess, hustling to get to this point, you know, how did you, when you, so when you decided to go to dive into shooting and it it was because everything else both wasn't what you wanted to do, but also wasn't, didn't seem to lead somewhere. Did you think shooting would go anywhere or was it just, you had to follow what, like, were you following something internally like your gut or was it just, this seems like a better idea? How did you, how did you make that call? So at the time, you know, there wasn't social media. There was forums. There was like email groups. Uh, and I was part of like some Nissan car clubs locally in Southern California. And I would go to these car clubs and I would take pictures. And I mean, they weren't any good, but they <laughs> the, the difference is they existed. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like somebody yeah, took totally. the pictures at all. And the fact that I made these pictures and they existed meant they were the best pictures there. And that somehow kept continuing, including when I started going to the track with my 1972 40Z. Um, I bought that when I turned 21, the, the, my birthday, I bought it for $3,000. The next day, I took it to autocross. And like the group of friends that I kind of grew up with in the car world, we legitimately went to the track. We did track days, drift days, autocross, Gymkhana. Like we were very early in the forefront of that SoCal car culture. And when I was there, I would always bring my camera and I would always take pictures. And like, it was just such a low level of doing what I'm doing now. But I realized that some people do this on a grander scale for a living. And <laughs> I just needed to pursue that. So there was one point, um, I'm trying to think what year that was, where I, I just said to myself, like, this is it, I have to quit everything, I have to quit autocross, I have to quit track driving, modifying cars, I have to sell as much as I can all the stuff that I don't need to pursue this form of photography, just automotive photography. And, um, yeah, I just grinded for a long time. Did you, I, okay, I wait, would, so, so that, that's, that's crazy, right? So you were in this moment where doing what you loved meant, or chasing what you loved meant giving up everything else that you loved. And so many people trip on that, right? They get, they look at that as, okay, I could go that direction, but I failed because 
you know, I, I don't have all these other things that matter to me. Did you, did you ever have any in, in the, the months and the years that followed before or however long it took before things really clicked and you knew you were on the right path? Did you have any moments where you looked around and thought, holy, holy crap, I sold all this stuff. I don't have anything. I'm, I'm, what did I do? Right. Did, did that hit or no? Yeah. Well, I think for me, it was so much like, um, I, I, I mean, I, I, it's tough to say now when I look back on it, you know, I, it seemed like things were right. Um, (laughs) because along the way I was having the most fun. (laughs) <laughs> and I remember I would go to these events. There was one point, and a lot of professional drivers now, even in Formula Drift, will kind of remind me of this period of time where I would drive you know, to Vegas, to NorCal, to Arizona, or all the, any of the local tracks that I can actually reach to. And I would go there to like some drift practice day and i would set up my laptop and i would take pictures and i had a stack of cds with me and if anybody wanted the pictures that i took of their car from that event i would burn the cd and i would sell it for twenty (laughs) dollars and there was one point when i kind of realized that i could guarantee 20 cd sales which would just pay for my gas and my, I, I wouldn't pay for, I wouldn't get lodging because I would sleep on the floor of somebody's hotel room or I would sleep at a friend's house or their yeah. couch or whatever. Yeah. But it was just enough for, to, for me to eke by to be able to do it. And I just wanted to do it. And when I kind of had, I feel like when I had my first big break, when I started working for uh, EA Electron- Electronic Arts, um, shooting you know for for speed hunters and being an editorial being a part of an editorial team i remember there was this moment where like every morning i would be at the track or some event or whatever 24 hours of spa or shooting in europe somewhere i would spring up um doesn't matter what time of night i went to sleep the night before and i i would basically like 6 a.m whatever anytime we need to go to the track i would spring up and I would just be so excited. I would be so happy because I'm <laughs> thinking to myself, like, I'm doing my dream job. But then I look in the mirror and I think to myself, one day <laughs> it's going to be like, oh, my God, I can't believe I have to wake up. It's so early to go to the track or whatever. You know, I was I was kind of like <laughs> pre-thinking that eventually I would get tired of it. Yeah. But, you know, even though now I have to suffer a lot, like even just – Last week, we were back at Pikes Peak. For whatever reason, this year, we went to Pikes Peak four times. And it <laughs> seems like it's going to just get more and more frequent just because of how <laughs> relevant that, that mountain is. Yeah. Um, but, but like we had to wake up at 2.30 a.m. this last time. And then on race day or race week, we have to wake up at 12.30 a.m., which means we have to go to sleep at 5 p.m. God. You know, for, for, to, to get some sleep at all. Um, but like, but when we're in those situations, yeah, it sucks so much and we're physically hurting, but, uh, I still have that spark, you know, and that's kind of what's taken me to this point. So earlier you said something about, you know, starting out and how the stuff you shot wasn't any good and, and, and it's all, 
you know, everybody's on an arc, right? And if you're any good, you're, you're constantly trying to suck less. And you may not have sucked yesterday, but eventually you'll look back on that and try and get better, right? Because if you're not, everybody I know who makes anything for a living, they all, they're all doing it because they like getting better and they like tweaking the process, right? And a while back, I read, I read something talking about creativity and how we think. And it, it orbited the idea that when you're, you're starting out, you've consumed all this work that you love and you don't know who you are yet as an artist, but you have all this taste built up because you just, you just inhale all this amazing work that you respect and like, and, and, and just, just really want, you know, maybe to emulate in your own way, but you don't know how to produce the good, but you know what the good is. And the point is the, the point is that early on, it can be so frustrating because your taste hasn't caught up with your skill. Like not you and Jen, not you specifically, but anybody who makes anything. And there was this specific quote in this, this interview I read that was something like your taste is why you hate what you make but in other words it basically just means that everyone has to learn it's all a climb and if you're any good that climb is a whole career because you never stop trying but what's so interesting to me is the beginning of that process because it's like any other you know any other skill or 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 pastime you learn where you learn 80 percent of what you need to know in the first 20 percent, and then the last 20 percent takes you know, the rest of the time early on what was what was that process like for you when you were you were going from, you know, a guy who had shot a handful of events to, you know, you're on the way to becoming, you know, well and truly fully formed Larry Chen, you know, th th that you are now, right? How yeah. how did you how did you go about learning to get better? I, I mean, one of the things that I say even now, I feel like I just th there's certain things that I've learned and certain, um, I guess, experiences that I've had over the years to, and, and I use those to improve my photography. And I'm, I say this as honest as possible. I feel like I'm not a very good technical photographer, if that makes sense. Um, in terms of like, just basic, if there's a scene there, I would say, it's not that it's harder for me to pick out the scene and the the right photo or the best photo. I just need more attempts at it. And that's kind of one of the things that I developed over time. Right. Okay. And, um, which means I have to show up earlier than every other photographer and I have to stay later and I have to stay more days and I have to have that edge, that unfair advantage. And a lot of that comes from equipment. You know, so I pride myself in using, you know, Canon cameras and also the best equipment, the newest equipment and the newest glass and technology to my advantage to improve my shots because you are your own worst critic. But I look at my peers, I look at the people that I started shooting with and I, even if we're at the same event, same track, the technical how savvy these other people are. When I look at the pictures, I'm like, I just didn't see that. How did they see that? I didn't see that. But if they, if they're, they're done with their shot and they're already gone, I'm still trying. I'm still trying because I need those extra attempts. I need those extra chances. And then from that, maybe I can equal their, um, technical prowess or their, their, um, just just the the um framing or or just the um composition color you know 
I, I just need that time and I build that in. And I feel like that's just something that I've developed over time. You, you realize how, and I mean this as a compliment, you realize how insane it is for you to sit here and say that you're not a technically accomplished photographer. Like you're, <laughs> but, you, I your mean, work's but, incredible, but, you know, man. It's the, and I, it's, it's the truth. It, it is fully, fully the truth. And and I believe me, I wish it was the other way where I could <laughs> put in this time and I was super technical and I was super able to like just grab those frames out of out of thin air, you know? Um, yeah. There are certain photographers that I look at their work and they're, they are the decisive moment photographer. You know, they, man, their finger is so fast and ready to go anytime. They're the predictive photographer. They're the, I mean, there's just so many ones that uh, maybe even have like the most steady hands or the best panners or, you know, I see those and I'm like so jealous of their skill. But but that's a good thing, you know, because it's something for me to push for. It's something that kind of gives me inspiration to push harder. And I really like that that exists, you know, because what's the fun if you're just competing against yourself? You know, you should be, you know, uh, just, uh, um, I guess, uh, comparing yourself to all your peers because that everybody will kind of elevate each other's work that way. Um but yeah, you, you, I, I want to. I also before we get into it deeper, I wanted to touch on something that you mentioned. Yeah, of course. Before we started recording, about you know failing over and over. The the crazy thing is, it, it's getting to a point where, uh, we're we're kind of a I, we're still a small crew. It's six of us now, and we all work toward this one goal, which is to create amazing content. You know, um, the Haggerty show, Capturing Car Culture, is pretty much our main focus now. And that that's on the editorial side. On the yeah. commercial side, of course, Toyota, Nissan, Ford, right? you know, um, big brands like Yokohama, Pennzoil. That's what we focus on the, on the commercial side. Uh, on the editorial side, instead of doing this magazine, this website, this whatever, no, Haggerty and our own YouTube, like whatever bleeds over. If we have extra content, we put it on YouTube. Uh, the thing is, with all six of us, we fail every single day, nonstop. <laughs> I mean, you think you've <laughs> figured out everything in terms of what we do? Like, it seems so simple. Here's a car. Let's take pictures and video of this car. <laughs> or here's an event. Let's take pictures and video of this event. Or here's this whatever car culture moment or this uh, uh, race or whatever you think that we've kind of seen it all because we've been shooting for so long and the collective hours of shooting and the collective amount of pictures and right. hours of videos between people, all yeah. of us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it's not enough because it seems there, there's something that goes wrong every single day and we learn so much because part of it is that, there's really no way to prep for this. I don't, I, I just, there's just no way. I mean, I guess it's the same way with all types of work, especially in the car industry. Anything can go wrong at any moment. Um, racing, same thing, you know, whether it be drag racing, drifting, off-road, there's just so many variables. Whatever you think, like a, a good example is, is um, like Steph Papadakis, right? Of the uh, Toyota drift team. 
with uh, Frederick and and Ryan Turk. Like he looks at these things that break, and he's like, "There's no way I ever thought this would break, but it <laughs> broke, and I have to redesign it." And that's kind of the cool thing, you know, seeing what will fail. And it's the same way with what we do. Like we have redundancy on redundancy on this backup on that backup, and it's like three backups fail. And it's like, why didn't we have a fourth backup? What's wrong with you? Like, how could you be so dumb to not right. have a fourth backup? Right. But um, that's just where we're at now. Like, the stuff that we do, it's it's just it's ridiculous. It's but that's that's the thing, right? I mean, because any yeah. if it was if you could plan for it, it wouldn't be a problem. It wouldn't be something going wrong, right? And the the more you do it, it's like you know you watch teams that go to Le Mans and they have you know like Porsche will show up with the entire you know three entire spare cars and containers and you know every every contingency planned for down to a thousand row spreadsheet and then there's still something that's not on that thousand row spreadsheet that knocks them out and everything goes dead and you know everybody has exactly to cry. exactly but. I love I love the idea of any job that runs without catch or safety net. And you know, you like I you know, I've I've talked to pro shooters who like have had, you know, bodies die and lenses die and you know, the CF cards go apart. But on some level, you know, you talked earlier about the idea that there are creative fails, there are, you know, you, you know, you mentioned mechanical fails, the idea of of even just not getting a shot, like missing it, right? And that photography is so interesting because there are so many ways it can come apart. There are, you know, it, it can be a, a thing that is, is the fuzzy gray space where you look at it and you go, that is not Larry Chen's best work today. And everybody else looks at it and go, what are you talking about? That's, that's a 10 out of 10. That's amazing. And then on the other end of it, there's like, you know, the <laughs> stuff that could be seen as a technical failure, but isn't like um, a really good example is like Frank Capra on D-Day, right? In Normandy in, in World War II. You know, he goes, he, he goes to the Normandy landing in a landing craft with a bunch of soldiers has like six rolls of film in his pocket. Half of them get drenched. They get 11 frames out of the whole day. And they're some of the most iconic pictures of the war and none of them's in focus. And they're all awful. Like technically speaking, they're awful pieces of photography, but they're amazing pieces of art. And you, I just, I love the idea that you work in this, you, you guys, anybody who does what you do, but you, especially you work in this weird intersection of, of uh, art and science and commerce and things that you can control and things that you can't control. How do you, like when you're heading off to a day where you know there's going to be a bunch of things you can't control and you know that things, you're, a lot of it is a juggle and there's some dice roll. How do you wrap your head around that? How do you think about it? You know, it, it's, it's funny. Like that happened to us last night. So we were shooting in downtown LA till 2.30 AM. Oh my God. And um, I, it's a very common theme for me. And you can ask any one of my guys how like my mood goes as like <laughs> shoots go yeah basically i am so upset and i'm like pacing and nervous and just not happy until i get one good shot <laughs> then it just like because i'm like pushing so hard where's that first one where's that first good one you know where is it it's, it's somewhere here and then somehow it happens who knows how and i look at it i'm like oh Boom. Mood's good. Let's push. Hard. Let's let's keep pushing, you know, and let's keep making sure we have good shots. I can't tell you how. How many times it's like that. I mean, I, I think it's like that pretty much every time, um, <laughs> especially the really high pressure ones. Yeah. Um, when it when it really matters, you know, when it comes down to it, like when, for example, when Nissan asks us to 
do the worldwide launch of the new Z. You know, that's such an important car of our generation, I think. Yeah. And um, it's it's like, you know, people are going to get their first impression on this car from my pictures. And that's super important. You know, it's I wouldn't say it's a make or break, but it kind of is. First impression is pretty important. And that's kind of why, especially a company like Nissan, Ford, you know, all the OEMs, there's such sticklers on leaks, right? Because if it's something that leaks and it's so badly lit and it's pixelated and it's ugly, everyone's first impression on the leaked car is like, oh, this is trash. <laughs> you know, so you you just want it to be as good as possible. And, you know, I take that really to heart. Like I'm very prideful of the work. I just, I can't not be, you know, if we're not prideful of the work and if we're not in love with it, then it's just no point, you know, it's just for us. I just don't want to shoot boring cars. I don't want to shoot ugly cars. I want to shoot the best looking cars and I want to make them look as good as possible. So, so you mentioned, you mentioned corporate gigs, right? And one of the, one of the interesting things about your career is that you, like you are deeply grassroots. You, you know, you'll be literally in the weeds at an event, um, you know, like drifting at Gingerman or Irwindale, you know, you, you are there and you are, at some of the largest pro races in the world and you are shooting new cars and you are shooting bits and pieces and parts. And like there is, you are so all over the map in terms of what you do and how you do it and very, very good at all of it. But the, the risk, the, that element of risk and that element of unknowable varies, right? Some gigs are one end of the spectrum and some gigs are the other is a, is a job, is a gig more interesting or does it, does it become more interesting when there's more risk of things going wrong? Or is it just like, okay, that's, that's something we have to think about. It's there. It's just one more piece of the puzzle. I think, um, definitely the more complicated ones are obviously they give me a lot more stress and it it takes a lot more effort for us to plan for something like that, which generally speaking, a riskier gig means something that is, um, there's just a lot more things that can go wrong and we can, if we fall, we fall really hard, but I feel like I've worked enough in this industry where I can take a certain calculated risk and I know what we can do to fall back on or what, um, what we're capable of. And I think the reason why people like to hire us is because of the reliability factor, not so much, again, it may not be the best photos or video. Larry, um, shut up. God, we, we may be really the good team. at this. <laughs> God, no, man, I, I'm, just, 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 I'm just saying, you know, it, it's a reliability thing. You know, yeah, you, yeah. you will end up with something and that's the key. Uh, the worst is to have a team out shooting something, a new car release or a new tire release or new wheels or whatever, you know, new event. And you just end up with nothing. You know, it really, it even comes down to how methodical we are about making sure the equipment is safe, um, our backups are good. You know, I I just, it's crazy to me how casual a lot of photographers and videographers are about equipment, Yeah, um, especially traveling the world. You know, things get stolen. things break, you know, we, we're so methodical, like any restaurant we go to got to make sure we have all of our stuff with us, no matter how much of a hassle it is. Um, hotels, whatever, like 
it, it is so crazy. And part of it is that, you know, I've taught the guys through experience what we need to do to make sure we have the highest chance of success for our clients. And part of that is whatever, you know, just, just doing anything we can to make sure our stuff is safe. Oh, that makes sense. You, know, you mentioned earlier, you know, being around, being around, being, being around situations where things go wrong. Right. Um, and like, you know, a lot of your work resembles, you know, sports or wire shooting or, you know, just field work where you can't control what you're shooting and you have a very narrow window in which to catch it and to keep moving. And then you have to move on to the next thing. Right. Is it, I mean, you, the definition of that job means that you are around when things go ape, right? When mm -hmm. cars blow up, when cars crash, when people get really hurt, when, you know, somebody puts, somebody spends six months putting together a drift car, a race car, whatever it is, puts their life into a thing. And then all of a sudden that is wiped out, boom, gone in two seconds, right? Is it, <laughs> that's is it ever, what's that's, it like? I mean, is it ever weird to watch somebody come apart and know that you have to kind of be coldly just, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, 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 I got it. You're well, there. That's right? the crazy thing is I'm so glad you brought that up. We have the easy job. <laughs> we we're just there to capture it. The hard job is the blood, sweat, and tears that go into actually racing and or putting your life on the line. All of that. I I don't even get to experience a fraction of that. You know, I lucky enough where I get to drive sometimes yeah. on the amateur level, drifting, whatever. You know, I, I I like to get behind the wheel, and then I also like to wrench on an amateur level. I'm very candid about the fact that I'm a photographer first. I'm a car enthusiast also, so I'm not the best at building cars, working on cars. You know, with that said, we are building a SEMA car this year for Toyota, <laughs> a GR86. And even though it's such a simple car, it's a bolt-on car, and it's it's just made for drifting and, you know, light road racing, time attack, autocross, whatever. It's the best version of that bolt-on car we can build. And we're still running into so many issues. And I couldn't imagine the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into these cars that are just of the best, you know, top level in, in, with their racecraft and all that. And all we have to do is just show up with our equipment and just <laughs> take pictures of it. Or what, what blows my mind now is, especially on the YouTube side for our channel or Haggerty, somebody spends who knows how many man hours on this build and I show up and in one hour or less, I talk to the owner. I'm like, all right, tell us about this. So now tell me about this. So tell me about the hardship you had to do to get this thing to fit or this thing to work or this right. system to talk to each other. And like I, now I, I wouldn't say I own it, but like I, but I've captured it, it now. Yeah. And that's it. I'm months done. or years of their life. Just boom. And then, then it's out. Right. Jeez, it's crazy to me, and <laughs> it blows my mind, especially when people message me and tell me, like, hey, I've been building this car for, like, the past five years or even ten years. I can't wait for it to get to the level or once it's finished for you to come take pictures of it. And when when I break that down, that could mean me stopping by for five minutes if it's parked on the side of a racetrack or whatever – or it could mean going to a meet and I just snap a picture of it with my cell phone. Or it could mean, hey, I'm going to spend the whole day on it and do a capturing car culture episode on it. You know, like there's so many different levels to that 
that's that thought or just that idea of me taking pictures of a car. Is it, but when, when you're sitting there behind the lens and somebody is having this deeply emotional moment, you, you, you kind of downplay it because yeah, you're there. All you do is take the picture. They're having either heartbreak or an amazing day, the best day of their life. Doesn't matter what it is. Like you're just there. But when, is it, is it weird to be, you know, a lot of like musicians talk about having the instrument in front of them. The instrument insulates them from the crowd. Like, you know, guitar players used to say that it, it protects me from, you know, everybody out there. I'm, the guitar is my shield. You know, okay. Photographers say, so have told me the same thing, but I know that's an isolating thing and you, you've got the camera there and you're doing a job, but is it, is it ever weird to be watching again, somebody's great day, somebody's awful day and knowing that you kind of, you can't really get involved. I mean, you can have feelings, but you're not, you're just kind of there doing the job while they are living this deep, deep life that may not be the best day in the world. Right. How does that? Yeah. I think that that really just comes down to what you think or, or your, thought is on photography i excuse me i um followed a lot of ap reuters conflict photographers um wire photographers i followed them pretty heavily uh when i was just starting out just because i just i loved the dedication that they put into not making pictures but good pictures and so much effort and so much actual physical pain and just so much of their life dedicated to making these good pictures. And it's definitely not for, it's, it's definitely not for other people. I feel like it's definitely for themselves. You know, it's, it's just to give them a, a sense of being or whatever, but I, I kind of took that a little bit and um, I feel like that's just something that I do now. I, I just do my job the best I can do, you know, and my yeah. job is to tell that story, whether it's good or bad. Right. Of course, I focus on the good um, because I am a car enthusiast and I want to play, make or play my part. I want to um, do my part to save the culture that we love and to improve it and to inspire people. So my favorite thing to do now is to reveal uh, cool builds, reveal inspiring builds, and maybe inspire other people to take pictures. You know, that's really something that is a, a, a big part of what I do now um, at events or the classes I used to do before the shutdown with Canon. So much of what I've what I've been able to accomplish comes from the education side of what I do. Um, recently, and this is the first time I'm talking about it, um, besides a story post that I put up two days ago. Uh, recently, Intel, out of all companies, reached out to me. Uh, this this kind of came full circle with my gaming background, and if you could see the PC I'm on. Um, that's on an Intel i9 processor. Since I started working w- with computers and since I started in, in building computers, I've always worked with Intel and I've, I've always been a PC nerd. You know, I use a Google phone. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm anti Apple, but it just naturally means that I don't have any Apple products. Um, but, but like, I'm so hyper-focused on, on doing things the way I like doing them. 
um, Intel, for whatever reason, they notice and they want to help me on the educational side of things too. So now I'm one of the speakers at Adobe Max this year, which is really, really cool. big and really important yeah. because um, for the first time, I'm actually going to go through my entire process from taking pictures all the way to publish. And I'm going to show everything in terms of like the, the MSI computer I use, the Canon camera, how I choose the pictures, how I edit them, how to export. Uh, yeah, the education side of keeping this culture alive and keeping it afloat is so important to me. And um, just working with these good companies really kind of helps. I, I love that, man. And I love, you know, you mentioned earlier the idea of positivity, right, and optimism. And one of the things that I find really interesting about, and you see it in newspaper reporters, you see it in professional shooters, you see it in writers and novelists and anybody who kind of enters into a career where from the outside, the day to day can be a grind or there can be, you know, a, a lot of outside forces that make it less than positive. But, and, and you see it, you see it really commonly with journalists, partly because, you know, the journalism business is collapsing and has been for 20 years. But this idea that, you know, after a long enough time in a business doing a certain kind of work, you can, you, you just kind of veer towards cynicism and pessimism. And, and, and that's its own kind of failure, I think, you know, th this notion that you get so, so rooted in how things have always been and how, how, you know, what's different from when you started that you, you stop focusing on what's positive about it. And, and, and the idea of just time jading people in general, right? I, I like the fact that you, you, you are optimistic about it and you focus on that stuff because it's important. And so much of the culture is so, it's so divisive. It so comes down to you are this and not that. I like these cars and not that. Those are not my people and these are. And it when it really doesn't matter, right? Yeah, I think when you start doing this industry, you have a choice of being positive about things or being <laughs> negative, maybe. Um, I guess I kind of ride that line. I'm, yeah, I am a journalist and I you know, I've been in positions more where where I'm more just that storyteller. I have to be neutral. But because of the path that I chose now and because of the shows that we have and our voice, you know, on social or on editorial or on YouTube, I just choose to be positive. Um, I know a lot of people get a lot of views and get a lot of notoriety for maybe being half and half negative and positive or maybe more negative but i just i don't know for me it's just about positivity and um just kind of want to pump up everybody you know no matter what you're into you know you could be into low riders you could be into uh, low and slow slammed whatever there's there's just something to appreciate about all of it and um uh, while it's funny every now and then to see the memes making fun of a certain uh, right. car culture aspect, it, it is uh, somebody loves it for some reason, and you know, good for them. I, which is funny, right? The dichotomy, though, because on the one hand, everything you just said is real, and I believe it, and on the other hand, part of being an artist is looking at what you've made and not liking it, and, and zeroing in on what you don't like about it. And earlier, you talked about you know the the fact that you aren't the kind of shooter that you want to be. Whatever, whether it's today or five years ago or 10 years ago, and that you're constantly working to, to improve that. You know, a, a, lot of, a lot of writers I know uh, and some musicians won't go back and look at or listen to their old work, even the, the good stuff, the stuff that they 
ostensibly like that other people say is great and that people have you know generally appreciated because they, all they see is the the stuff that they've learned not to do you know they see a version of who they were creating and they're now not that um and and it can come across as cringe it can come across as well you know that was me last week that's not me now i'm a different person blah 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 but do you ever do you ever go back and look at your own old work and and, and if so do you do you look for anything in particular in it is it, yeah, is it important I'm, to have I'm, a relationship with the stuff you've done before, even if you don't like it? Yeah, I'm actually glad you mentioned that. Um, I was going through my archive yesterday, and I do it kind of year by year. I I have a pretty uh, – like I, I have a very extensive archive of my life's work in that I can go to any picture that I've taken ever uh, since I started within, whatever, five seconds. But <laughs> – the I, I have a certain amount that I choose every single year that I consider my best of, and it's a very good representation of what I shot that year. And it uh, hovers about two hundred between two hundred to three hundred photos per year. And I just look, I constantly look at it. And the reason why I was looking at it yesterday was because we were sourcing photos for. Um, one of our capturing car culture episodes um featuring Vongin Jr. Yeah. And uh, you know, I followed pretty much his entire career, but I look back at my photos and I'm I feel like I'm the opposite of musicians because um I look at my technique and I look at maybe the limitations that I had back then in terms of technology, in terms of just everything access even and I look at it, I'm like, how the heck did I create those pictures back then? <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, what did I have to go through to right, make these? Right. And how can I be just as good? It's really hard because I try to top every single year. But it's it's very hard because <laughs> it's just impossible. I mean, locations maybe not exist anymore or cars get destroyed or things aren't the same for whatever reason. And I'm honestly, physically, I'm slower, you but know, I'm older yeah, and maybe I might not be able to stay up as long or keep up or run as fast or climb as many rocks, whatever. And I, I just think about that. And I look at the pictures. I'm like, wow. I just think about that picture. I was knee deep in water <laughs> and I was just up for whatever, <laughs> 20 hours. And I, and I got that and yeah. it's going to live on forever and I'm never going to be able to get better than that. That's the kind of crazy thing, you know, <laughs> looking back at my archive. I don't know. It kind of goes up and down, but I also know what I've had to focus on kind of changes the way I shoot and the way yeah. my best photos work out. Like <sighs> there was a certain point in my career when I had the time to from from start to finish have a hand in the photos have the you I'll, i'm the only one to touch those photos and um maybe that's not the case anymore because of how much we shoot you know i might have to have somebody call through some things or i'll do final color on it or whatever but it, it's just really tough to have ultimate control on everything now because of the amount of things we do and also maybe a lot of the things we do aren't as picturesque, maybe. Um, it, it's not like we're shooting 24 hours of Lama every year. 
Yeah, you know, it's not I mean, like it's, we're shooting at Nurburgring every year. And yeah. yeah, and so some years we do things that are prettier than others. And that's part of it. But I remember there was a, a block of years where I'm like, oh my God, I'm getting to shoot all these great <laughs> events and these great things. And I can spend all the time in the world to make sure that the color is perfect. Um, I took out all the porta potties of the shots. And, <laughs> you know, like I, there, there's just things that I can do, but now I can't even do that. You know, now I can't even have the time to do certain things that the most basic things because of the amount of things that we're doing, which is not so bad, really. Maybe my pictures suffer in the, in the end of the year, but now I have so much to show for. Like I look at our YouTube channel, I look at all the things that we're able to cover and I look at all the big car launches that we get to do. And it's just really something else. It's, 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 um, I'm just so happy to be able to do this stuff. But that's that's interesting, right? Because that's that's the difference in, you know, it's 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 evolving from being a one-man band to running a business that like you said is six guys working constantly churning thousands of images every year, right? I I, I don't know, I, I'm I, I love talking, I'm fascinated about it, fascinated with how people view their own work and how they create. I so I've been doing, I've been a, a journalist, a writer for 20, 20 odd years. And I started at a car magazine in Michigan about you know, 20 years ago, almost 20 years ago. And I, the woman who ran it was a woman named Jean Jennings. And every month she would sit down and she would write a column on the back page of the book. And it was just this like thousand words, single page, had her head shot. Like back when that, that sort of stuff defined how, you know, how the industry worked, right? You know, you'd see something in a column, the column was an important voice. And then that person, yada, yada, yada. But I, I remember I, I had no idea. Like I, I showed up, I, I literally got the job by saying I would sweep floors and clean toilets, right? And I, I, all I wanted to do was be a writer. All I wanted to do was be around cars. And I show up and I, I talked to her one day because she was sitting down and she had like three hours left before deadline. And she had to make this thing, this column from nothing. And I walked into her office. I'm like, can I ask you questions? She goes, yeah, I'm really busy. What? And I, I said, well, how, how the hell do you do it? Because it takes me uh, an afternoon, a year, uh, a, a lifetime to do anything, right? How do you get to the point where you just sit down and just churn out amazing stuff in really short order. And she said, Oh, I, I don't know. I hate it. I'm not very good at this. I'm like, you, you literally one of the most famous people in the business. You're extremely important. You run this magazine. What are you talking about? She looked at me and she said, well, every time I sit down, I, to make anything, I have to convince myself that I could do it. And to convince myself that I do it, I, she pointed over to, she had this bookcase in the far corner of her office. She goes, go over there. And that bookcase was full of binders. And she said, I pull out a binder then I look at something I wrote and I thought, I go, that's really good. I'm not that good anymore, but I'm going to try. And everything I've done since, like, okay, it might suck, but I can do this. Once I did this, probably not going to be this good, but you got to be okay with it. There's a gun to your head. Stop whining and make the thing. And that was her, her process, right? And like mine's totally different. Yours is totally different. Anybody who makes anything, it's different. But I just love the idea that half of making anything, like it, you learn how to get around these structures when you make something on deadline for your job, right? You learn how to just make a product you are happy with. It is as good as it's going to get in the amount of time you have to make it. And yet at the same time, part of it is still like learning which parts of your brain to shut up, right? And it, it's it's always weird to go back and look at things you made and realize where you were. Like Larry was knee deep in water and had slept for two hours or you know, whatever it is. I has has how you think about like when you have total freedom to do you know time and composition and you're not shooting under somebody else's clock has how you think about how you 
has how you process and think about that work changed? Do you, do you shoot for fun? Do you like, how do you, how do you approach that? Mm, I mean, the, the easy answer is, uh, to, to shooting for fun is we, I have to shoot for fun every single time <laughs> I pick up the camera. Otherwise I wouldn't do it, you know, but that's great, I, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that is shooting for fun. Um, yeah, I, I just, I'm sorry. What was your other question? From, no, it was just shooting for fun? how you, how you make things like, do you, uh, and, do, and how yeah, do you yeah. think about it? Does that, has that changed? It has to have, right. Especially, especially given the fact that, you know, the business is the business now. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely the really big thing that has changed is, um, I, I think I kind of touched on this before. The main thing is we just have so much more responsibilities now yeah. and I can't just do things for the art for the best picture possible. Which but again good. is crazy because that's your definition of the thing. And everybody else looks at Larry Chen's well, work and is like, what that that's art. What are you talking about? This is amazing. Right. But that's every artist works. You know, everybody has the barometer, which is just really interesting. Yeah. A, a good example is Pike's peak, right? So, I, we're the official photography team. I've been the official photographer for um, a couple years now. I think since 2018, I think was our first year. And it, it is a very, very big responsibility um, because this is, we're talking about a very historic race. You know, one, one of the oldest in the world um, second oldest in the U.S. Indy 500 is a yeah. couple of years older. Um, you know, we just had the 100th running, which um, is, is so so crazy that an event can happen for this many years. You know, they did break for World War II. Um, it, it is it is a very big res responsibility, and we take it to heart. Like I'm so serious about it because now we're documenting this thing for future generations to come. You know, when I'm gone and when all my guys are gone, our pictures will live on. Our pictures and video will live on. And before we had this kind of responsibility, I would just mess around. I would just <laughs> move from place to place. And it's like, if I miss the shot, oh, well, another car is going to come. And then I get to do this super abstract thing to make <laughs> art. To make it look as good as possible. Yeah. You may not even know what the car is. You know, you may not even. And at that time, it's like, who cares? I would just, I just wanted to make the best picture possible. But we just can't do that anymore. We have to be responsible. We have to make sure, okay, these next 10 cars, we have to make sure we get tack sharp pictures of these cars. We still want to make the best picture possible, but they have to, they have to look good and they have to, have their um, um, aesthetic quality to it. But they also have to have their commercial quality, which is you can see the logos. You can see, you know, if it's an open wheel car, you can see the person in there. If it's a motorcycle, you know, all that. There's just so many aspects to what we do that's very important. I mean, it, heck, you want to talk about motorcycles, you know, like our buddy Carlin Dunn, he passed away at Pikes yeah, Peak, and right. we literally have the last picture of him alive, you know? And it's so important 
what if we missed that picture? Because we were messing around and we're like, hey, let's do this artsy fartsy thing, you know? But we we didn't. We have tack sharp stuff from starting line all the way to unfortunately him going down. And and that's documenting it for forever, you know, for life, for his mom, for his sister. Right. Just for history, you know, and, and we have that. Um it is it's it's that's really the biggest change over time. You mentioned you mentioned earlier uh, just the the notion that you know you have to work around how you know okay so you don't you don't consider yourself a, a great technical photographer some people would argue but you don't consider yourself that right and that means for you that you have to build an extra time you have to get up earlier you have to work harder to get around that how how long did it take you to figure out that that was something you needed to compensate for because again we all have processes when we're making things right you know you you have to work around the things you know that you can't do well even if it's only you that thinks that you can't do that thing well it's still a thing you've decided to work around was did that did that hit you early or was it the kind of thing where you you looked at everyone else's work and you wanted your work to have one of those qualities and you had been doing it a while and you were like oh i'm gonna start changing and thinking differently i think so much of it comes from like the way that I see other photographers come up in the ranks. Okay. Um, there's so like when I first started, I feel like my photography um, quality wise composition and just like the overall feel of it was pretty on par with some of the better motorsport photographers. But then when I see that there's these, very, very talented shooters that are coming up on the ranks just on skill, just based off skill. And they're coming up so much faster and they're creating these images sometimes when we're at the same place. That's when I'm like, wow, it's, it's very inspiring to see, you know, it's, it's very cool to see what's possible. And, and I just know that if I want a piece of that, I just have to work that much harder. Mm, it, it, yeah, I think that's really it, you know, because as good as you can possibly be as a business person, um, in the photography world or in video or in this industry, you still have to back it up with some skill. And that, that's what I see. You know, I see these photographers that I'm like, wow, I just, I cannot believe that they're able to see these things. It's just, even, even if we're in the same corner or even if we're at the same event, or even if the same car is sitting in front of us, I don't know how to explain it. It's just a way to see something different. And you just don't know if it's better until it's created and you look at them side to side and it's like, wow, that's definitely better for this reason. And that's the cool thing about photography. That's the fun thing about it. You know, there's just, there's certain rules that you have to follow. Not really, <laughs> but, and as, as humans, you know, it's the same thing with music, right? Like there may be, there's certain rules you have to follow to make good music, but do you really have to, you know, some music is just so crazy and it, but it, for whatever reason, us humans as these beings love it. it. It's just, it's just so crazy to me. Um, 
What's it's the idea? Of I guess like, it's the same. Yeah, it's the same way with cars. How come some cars look better than others, or some cars are loved more than others? You know, well, it's it's the idea of you know the learning which there are r- rules that we break and rules that we don't break, and that those sets are different for everybody, right? And and the ones you choose to break and the ones you choose to move around with, play with, that's that's you. That's anything you make reflects that. And I, I, I don't know. I, I, that's, there's also this, you know, we've, we've been kind of orbiting obliquely the idea of things going wrong in this whole chat. But I, I, one of the things that I, I find really interesting about anybody who's made any kind of a career and, and any kind of a name for themselves is that, especially if they're creating something, but they don't ever sit and, and they don't ever stop with it, mainly because <sighs> It is in itself a kind of failure to get 20 years in or 10 years in or five minutes in and decide, all right, I am good enough and I'm going to keep going, right? This notion that like, you know, one of the things you've kept coming back to is just this idea that it's really, really important to never assume you are there, to never assume you have landed it. You are at the top and things are good and things are going to be fine, right? You know, I mean, I know a lot of people in magazines who are like, well, magazines are a thing. They're always going to be a thing. Well, no. They're not, and they're not really anymore. And, yeah. and it, you know, if you, if you like working at them, you figure out what you like doing there and you figure out how to take it somewhere else, like storytelling and the images and all of it. But just, I, I love the idea that you've built this career around like so many people who make stuff. It's so common, but it's so important because so many people who get into the business get to a certain age, like they, you know, they hit middle age or 10 years in and they think, well, screw it. You know, I, it's really hard to keep trying. I'm just not going to try anymore <laughs> or I'm just going to keep it at this level. You know, you know, I think I, I'm maybe a little crazy, but then there's just so <laughs> many people that are like me, yeah. in, especially in this industry, yeah, especially some surrounded by cars, so just something about cars that kind of drive us for yeah. whatever reason. Um, but I get so many young people that come up to me or message me or reach out to me somehow. And I, I just don't know why a lot of times they, they are obviously interested in getting this industry and they're obviously interested in picking up this camera. But it's too easy now for whatever reason to make excuses. Yeah, and, totally. And it's, it's kind of – it sucks in a way because um, – I wish they would just try and try hard and like you say, fail. Uh, and then, you know, there's just no easy street. Like even the best people that I see that have come up in this industry on the writing side, on the photography side, video, even if they've done it in the fastest way possible and they've just had a lucky break early on, or if they've created their own break, They've still just gone through so much. You yeah. know, maybe they didn't need a grind like I have for so long. Um, because I feel like I didn't really have a good turning point until maybe 10 years in. Then it started kind of building up some momentum slowly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been shooting now, I could say events. I've been credentialed. I've been credentialed photographers for 18 years now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's just not overnight at all. (laughs) It is my life. It's pretty much all I know. I don't know how to do anything else (laughs) except for take pictures of cars. (laughs) You know, I really don't. Yeah. Um, I'm the same way. This business evaporates. Uh, I'm, I'm basically going to be sweeping floors, you know, cleaning toilets like it. That's yeah. Yeah. But good, good, 
the good thing, you know, again, <laughs> something I said before we, we started recording is that I've never been so busy in my life. I just, <laughs> I'm, I'm lucky in that I get to pick and choose what I yeah. want to do now because there's so many good people and so many good companies and there's just so much in the car industry that so many people that want to do good work that allows us to keep shooting and keep telling stories and, you know, Haggerty, oh my God, they're such a big driving force. You look at the channel right now on YouTube and it's like, they've, it's almost like they've picked up all the best of automotive and put them in one channel, which is just so crazy. They basically said, screw the YouTube algorithm. Let's just do what we want to do. You know, <laughs> it's, it, it is funny, right? And, and it's a lot of those jobs and a lot of those careers and a lot of those products. It's stuff that, you know, if you, you know, I, I can remember being in college and tell, you know, telling people I wanted to write about cars for a living. And the answer from my counselor was basically cool, man. Um, that's not a real job. Why don't you go be an accountant or literally anything else? And it was like, well, no, you don't understand. I, 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 I have to, you know, it's, it's like you, right? I, I can't not do the thing. I have to do the thing. And, and, and it, in the end, it, so much of it really just comes down to just adapting and looking around and going, well, all right, today is different from yesterday and I have to think different and I have to make something new now and not getting complacent and lazy. And it, it is weird. I get a lot of people who email me and say, yeah, I love your job. How did you get doing it? And, and the hard answer, which is, well, you start and then you to be really bad at it for a long time is never what anybody wants to hear because it's not the sexy answer and hard work is you in a room or you in a field up to your with water up to your knees you know just doing the doing the reps and grinding it grinding it out and and that's that's never i mean it's one of the reasons we made this podcast right because it's it's never the, the thing in the middle is never the sexy thing but god it's so important I, I don't know, man. I, I love that you think about this. Uh, so we've, we're basically out of time. We've got time for one more thing. It's a thing we do with everybody who comes on the show. And I love it because the answer inevitably says a lot about the person and how they look at things. I'm going to ask you a question and don't think too much. Just give me an answer. Sound cool? All right. All right. So what is the first thing that goes through your head when things go wrong? <laughs> Everybody laughs. <laughs> when things go wrong. Yeah. Um, First thing pops in your head when something goes apeshit. Hmm. That, that is a, well, I think I kind of mentioned it earlier. I think to myself, how could I not foresee this? <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> like, it's a pretty good answer. How could I not predict this thing happening? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that that is a good way to and then the second thing I think is how can I prevent this from happening ever again? See, that's you it, know? right? That's it because yeah. it's rooted in yeah. doing something different. Yeah. I like, sorry, I, mean, I get excited. It's it is just it it could be the dumbest things. Um <laughs> and and yeah, it's 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 always something. It's always something dumb. Um yeah, like I, 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 it's it's hard for me to like uh, uh, give you a good example. No, it's okay. It's I'm a it's a one liner question. It's it's you don't you don't have to don't have to dive deep on it. I was just curious. That's a good answer. It's one of the better answers we've gotten. Well, yeah, I I, I just I, yeah, I I think it's just that it, because <laughs> um, 
that just kind of preps us for the next time something like that goes wrong. <laughs> right. <you know>? right. <laughs> but it goes back to what yeah. you're talking about, right? Like if you're not actively mm -hmm. trying to get better, you're basically moving backwards. So, yeah. well, Larry, thanks for taking the time. Uh, it was great talking to you today. Really appreciate it, man. And uh, good luck with SEMA and everything else coming up. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, thanks. for having me. <laughs>